paper cups inside the plastic cups. Hello and welcome to Plastic Cups Inside Paper Cups Inside Plastic Cups. I'm Dennis Wilson and this is Omar Rabadi. Omar, what's new with you? I'm doing good. I'm well. Uh, you know, probably watching too much news coverage like everyone else, refreshing my Twitter feed more than I should. But I'm feeling pretty good. It's a nice Friday night here in Philadelphia. The air feels a little bit calmer, so I'm I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. So we are. Why don't you give us the date? Because that's yeah. Today today's November sixth, two thousand twenty. Two days after the final votes forecast in the election, still not. So the major networks like ABC, CNN, they haven't called the election, but the decision desk at Plastic Cups, Inside Paper Cups, Inside Plastic Cups. His base has reached the conclusion that Joe Biden will be the next president. I don't know what's taken. I guess the other networks don't have all the inside information like we do, but we've decided to call it. Yeah, because they use too much data, not enough intuition. And we're we're like 75% intuition here. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're, you know, we're, uh, you know, we we look at advanced stats, but we also we also watch the games. So we have more knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So we are the the the, the middle. Oh, no, I guess hoping that we're near the end of election week. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, you know, in terms of like what it, Philly, it is in Pennsylvania, as a lot of people probably know. And you know, it's it's like a lot of the decision, the decision or the flipping, you know, the, the turning the election or calling the election could be based on Philadelphia. So you know, p- people have probably seen out there's you know some tension in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if you noticed it, there's lots of helicopters around. Um, I've, I've had enough helicopters in Philadelphia for the year, so it's, it's a little bit um, distressing to me, I guess. I don't know, do, are you seeing the helicopters? Uh, no, I, I mean, I feel like all that stuff just blends in the background for me. I'm Like it's on a daily basis, there's an ambulance going up my street that I'm just sort of desensitized to that type of thing. Yeah, and I don't know if they're more up here in like centers, like you're close to Center City. I guess I'm a little closer and then in North Philly, but it's just, it just reminds me of like the riots back, the riots and the protests in June. So I don't know, it just kind of brings me back to that a little bit. Um, but in any case, I don't know, hopefully um, Pennsylvania can resolve uh, you know, final the do the final count soon in the next day or so, and um, you know we'll have more clarity here. Yeah, I mean, like I said, our decision desk has reached a decision. I think it's it's going to take a while to actually count every last vote that's trickling in and that type of thing, but and. It, so yeah, so let me just ask you when what time did you go to bed election night, Tuesday night? Uh 3 a.m. And how how were you feeling at 3 a.m. when you went to sleep? Were you feeling like Trump is gonna pull off an even bigger upset than he did four years ago? Um, or were you thinking it's still up in the air? 
I I believed in 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 my brain that there the, the amount of mail-in ballots that were going to be counted in in a lot of these states, especially like the you know Michigan, Wisconsin, Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. I believed in, in in my mind that 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 would work out uh, in in uh, Democratic favor, but it was a really it was really hard to actually feel that because I mean Pennsylvania was I think eleven points still in in Trump's favor, so it didn't feel very good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I I I'd agree. Uh, so the you know the. Obviously, the first big news of the night was Florida going to Trump by about three points, despite him tra- trailing by about three points in like the poll averages. And then, even though like the smart people who I follow, who know more about political polling and elections than I do, were saying, "Hey, even though even though Trump is down." Sorry, even though Biden is down by like 10 points in Wisconsin and 10 points in Pennsylvania, that's going to flip around. I wasn't fully trusting that just because it seemed like their predictions hadn't been very good. So up until that point and, uh, you know, the way Florida turned out, the way Ohio turned out. And, you know, Trump did way overperform in Wisconsin, for example, he, you yeah. know, Biden barely, barely squeaked it out. I think there, there were polls showing Biden up 10, 11, 12, I think about an average of 10. And, yeah, the, and the aggregators know. had it, you know, they had, the aggregators had Michigan and, and Wisconsin at, at, at somewhere around eight, eight to 10. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then, I mean, seeing Ohio, which is, you know, it's, it's not so different. I mean, I don't know Ohio that well, but you know, it used to be a, a, a bit of a democratic bastion in some elections, but also not entirely, at least in my mind, different than Wisconsin. Um, so I was like, oh, Ohio really went pretty, you know, flipped pretty quick to to Trump and stayed there. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, I was like, I'll try to trust the science here, but <laughs> I don't feel it. Yeah. But, you know, I woke up Tuesday morning and it looked like Biden had won. Wisconsin was ahead in Wisconsin, was still ahead in Arizona. And it seemed like it, at that point, it seemed like at that point Biden was not sure to win, but a little bit more likely than not likely to win. So, you know, things did start to turn around while everybody was sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, other good news, there's a lot of predictions of if this drags on, there's going to be civil unrest, there's going to be violence. You know, luckily none of that happened, hasn't happened yet. Hopefully it won't happen, but it does seem like everything across the country has been pretty calm. There's been some weird moments here and there where people are protesting to stop counting the votes, but nothing too serious. Keep counting the votes. Yeah, yeah. Keep counting counting where Trump is behind, but stop counting where Trump is ahead. Yeah, I mean, I do fear, you know, there in Philadelphia, there was uh, two armed men arrested outside the convention center um, with some bad intentions. 
um, and then which I would consider domestic terrorists if that's if they indeed did have bad intentions. And then there was, you know, they, they also blocked off the area around the convention center where they're they're counting the votes because of a bomb threat. So I do fear I wouldn't I'm not fearing widespread uh, social unrest because I think that uh, d- despite Trump's claims, I think most people and I'm saying even most people on the, you know, uh, uh, on the Republican side uh, understand that, you know, the notion that there's this widespread multi-state um, conspiracy to throw the vote is a little far afield from good logic. So I'm not concerned about that, but I am I am um, acutely concerned about, um, you know, something bad happening in Philadelphia or somewhere else. You know, if, if, if somebody had guns and they were coming to the convention center, then it doesn't take much to then, you know, do something bad with the encouragement of the, of Trump and the riling up of like, you know, the Fox news media, um, you know, was, was, was talking about the convention center last night and saying, Oh yeah, you know, making it sound like it was super shady. Um, so I'm not, I am concerned about, you know, some, somebody going, somebody going AWOL and, you know, driving a truck through a crowd of people or, or, you know, shooting people. Um, I am very concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. Hope, hopefully, we'll come to that. But uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So how how do you see how do you see the? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just I was differentiating, I guess, between I guess protests, civil unrest, even rioting versus like what becomes I think terrorism. You know, uh, when there's weaponry involved, that and and you know that's that's when it becomes like really. A terrorist action. Any case, sorry, you were going to ask me something. So, how do you see the next couple days, say week, panning out? It doesn't seem likely Trump is going to concede. But what I think is more important than that is our fellow Republican elected officials at the federal level and the conservative media going to follow his lead. There's already seems there already seems to be some dissension in the ranks. Uh, some of some of the anchors on Fox News have been pushing back and saying there's no evidence of the claims he's making, not, you know, the primetime hosts like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. Uh, I heard Rush Limbaugh, even Rush Limbaugh pushed back a little bit saying, Joe Biden's going to be probably going to be the next president because there's not going to be evidence to overturn the election. Uh, but how, how do you think things are going to play out from here? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on uh, what are the number of states that Biden wins and what are the margins. There's definitely going to be a recount in Georgia because it's like a thousand, fifteen hundred votes difference at this point, I think. Um, so it's going to depend on on how many states he's up by and, and, and then how many, uh, and what the margin ultimately is in like Pennsylvania. Some of those states aren't going to be up for a recount. Like it's just, you know, it has to be within like 0.5 or a full percentage point of uh, a margin for or less than that for it to be a, a recount. Um, so that will dictate, you know, the which way that goes, like how many and the margins will dictate 
how many places it's reasonable to like to litigate. Um, so that'll that'll determine that. So, um, but every opportunity I think to kind of let, uh, litigate some of those things, Trump will will take the will take that as an opportunity to, to stretch things out. Um, but you know, there's only so many things you can do. I do think that there's a lot of security and process that's followed and the people that conduct the elections are, you know, more concerned. It's not like these are high paying jobs, right? Like a lot of their people are volunteers. It's like, like the people are in it because they care about, you know, having fair elections. So, um, so unless there's something that's demonstrable, and enough to sink your teeth into or, or some sort of like, you know, the thing in, in Florida was even if you think that like, you know, in Bush v. Gore, that, that Bush had some folks in his pocket there and whatnot. I mean, it was a weird thing of this like total room for interpretation. Like, um, I, is, you know, my, my limited understanding of it. So at least there, there was a single state with a single issue. And it was like, this is very questionable. And I, I believe it was at least questionable. But unless you have that in, in a, you know, in, in any given state, then it's not going to go very far. There, the Supreme Court is not going to hear those things if it's just, just Trump saying something, you know? So I think, you know, it, it'll take maybe a week. Or, I think we'll know the result within the next couple of days when Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, um, finally kind of submit their, you know, their final count and they start to certify the results. And then once it's called, it's, you know, a week or two of like potential litigation They they do need to resolve it all by like, I think December 14th or 15th. So, but I, but, you know, the Supreme court will hear things very quickly if they think there's an issue because nobody thinks it's a good idea to drag this on. So, but I realistically think it's a, it's a week or two, Trump, uh, Trump doesn't need to concede. That's not, I don't think that's a thing. Is it like to be elect, like to, for Biden to be elected, does, does Trump need to concede? I don't think so. That's ridiculous. That would be- no, no, he doesn't need to concede so, to be elected. If that was, yeah, if that was a requirement, then it would be really hard to win an election. Right. Well, yeah, because like, you just be like, I didn't concede. I'm king now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it'll just prove that he is the big baby that everybody said he was is if he doesn't concede. So um, it'll be, you know, sad, I guess, but for our country, but would be more sad if he was still president. Yeah. And I wonder how much of his aura just kind of dissipates because it's, he's, you know, he, he, I think more than any other president during my lifetime, just talked about how he won, he won, and that's where he gets his strength and power from. And, you know, this is just a a reason for people to just stop paying attention to him and stop being scared of him, especially Republicans who have always been worried about getting on the wrong side of him, worried that, you know, if if they talk negatively about him, they might lose a primary or he's going to use the office, right. the presidency against them. But now they have some space, should they choose to, to not follow his lead anymore because... His, you know, something weird, hap- not weird, but something that always happens to candidates who lose general elections, their popularity just goes down. It happened to Gore, to Kerry, to Romney, you know, nationally. The, their popularity just goes down after they lose an election. And I'd assume the same thing is going to happen with Donald Trump. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think arguably this is a, a actually a, a best case scenario for Republicans because you know I, I don't know enough about the the um, the special counsel, the uh, Robert Mueller uh, led special counsel, like in. But in my eyes, at least, there's multitude opportunities to, there are multiple opportunities to impeach Trump. But it's a very politically unfavorable thing to do, even for Democrats in purple states, let alone a Republican. So if it wasn't politically unpopular, they probably would have gotten rid of Trump then because he's also an albatross around them because he's so divisive. And some can you know, some people have lost Senate, Republicans have lost Senate seats and House seats because other people could run against them basically just on Trump. So it's like they didn't, they, they're getting rid of him without having to get, literally kick him out during, through an impeachment process. Um, so to me, it's a win win for them in, in most states. And, but, and, and as long as they kind of like, if for a couple of minutes they feign a little bit like, yeah, they should recount, like, then, you know, nobody can really accuse them of not. What are they supposed to do? What is a senator in New Mexico supposed to do? Like, you know, it, it's not up to them to um, fight for some sort of weird, you know, investigation into the election. So to, to me, I think it's, it's probably a, a win-win for, for, for even Republicans. Yeah, maybe, maybe they see it that way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with doing recounts, especially if it's within a close margin. I guess where I draw the line is I would like to see other Republicans say, look, this lit- litigation doesn't have any validity. You can't, you shouldn't just go around talking about how the election wasn't fair without actual evidence of that. Well, I mean... Yeah, I would like to see that too. Um, but I would like to see uh, have seen uh, Republicans stand up when um, he, you know, Trump questioned the legitimacy of the um, intelligence community and the legitimacy of the FBI and uh, criminal criminal justice system and the legitimacy of the um, the what do they call it, the fourth estate. Um, the, the you know uh, the uh, the the news and the journalism institution um, and the legitimacy of our allies. Um, so I'm not waiting on uh, you know anybody to really have a spine all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, that, you know that might be so. Uh, that might be so. So looking forward, yeah. but I think I think uh, it will change. I think it will change in the next, you know, the next several days. Once once the news, you know, the the networks and the news agencies agencies actually call this, and then you know, because it hasn't been called, you know, it hasn't been called. But the writing really is on the wall. Like it's I was on the wall, around until it's I, called. It's not called. So you know, once they call it, and he keeps he keeps on doing that, you know, it's just going to distract from whatever their policy initiatives are through the rest of November and December. Um, and what do they want to do in, in their, their terms next year and, and their, you know, their coming terms. So, you know, I think it, you'll start to see that when it becomes 
politically, they're less and less of a political uh, capital expenditure. Yeah, that's true. I although I would say that whether it's cold or not, like I don't think that should make too much of a difference whether or not they're going to speak out against him and his sons cause, you know, accusations of fraud and the election was stolen. And I don't know like whether they, they should either do it now, they should either stand up against that now or not based upon whether they think it's right or wrong. I don't know why they have to wait for the election to be called to do that. You're right. You're absolutely 100 and a thousand percent right. Um, I just think it goes to show how low we have come in terms of standing up for principle. Um, and so it's, I think that Trump has brought us down here in terms of he took us to the depths of, like I just listed all those things where he's attacked these institutions that are, if anything, establishment and cons more conservative institutions like FBI, the criminal justice system, you know, I mean, I mean Trump also attacked the judicial system. So it's just, you know, there's two things from that. It's one, it's, it's, I hope that it doesn't go lower than that. And I hope also that, you know, if and when, you know, or as the, you know, Democrats get more power uh, and uh, that they don't sink to those depths, that they also stand up for principle. And I don't always see that from the Democratic side either. I think that they see an opportunity, they seize on it like, a, you know, like red meat. So speaking of the Democrats, the Democrats did not win control of the Senate. It's still possible, I guess, because I guess there's going to be two runoffs in Georgia. But assuming we have a Democratic president, a slight majority in the House, Republican-controlled Senate, uh, what are your expectations for, I guess, the next two years? Because that'll be this, the federal makeup of the presidency and the House and the Senate for the next two years? Do you think we're just going to have constant stalemate? Do you think they'll actually be able to work together on anything? Um, you know, I guess I'm optimistic that, well, I mean, I, th I think the only thing to do now is because the country is messed up, <laughs> if you haven't noticed, you know? So to me, you know, obviously, I have interests and, you know, I have an agenda that I would like to advance in, in this country. Um, and a lot of those things do align with the democratic platform, but we do need to do something. We need to do things differently or else, you know, you know, it's really a demoralizing and stressful um, atmosphere to live in what we've been through, I think, especially in the last year, not just because of COVID, but um, you know, I do think it's, it's, the, to me, the priority is to actually make good on governing, um, the president governing and, and leading an entire country, not red states versus blue states and calling, you know, if call, calling governors on the other side of the, the, the party in various states, you know, basically the enemy and a despicable or whatever, they, you know, they call Philadelphia, like Trump calls Philadelphia. So I do legitimately believe that that's something 
that needs to be done. So I don't want to see just a bunch of, you know, executive orders and stuff like that in the short term. I do want to see, you know, Joe give it the old college, the old scram try, um, you know, and it's the eye should be on the midterms. That's when you can, you can, you can shift things. And, and so can't take your eye off the prize. Yeah, I, I think in a healthy democracy, obviously I, people should be engaged. People, we should, people should vote, all of those things. But I would like to see things be a little bit more boring. Like elections shouldn't feel so life and death. Like when, you know, McCain ran against Obama and Romney ran against Obama. I wanted uh, former President Obama to win both of those elections, but I wasn't like terrified that if, McCain or Romney won, the country was going to fall apart and the institutions that hold us together were going to be seriously at risk. And I, you know, just like to see a return to a little bit of lower stakes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I listened to Stern and he's like, I just don't, I, I've never used to think about the president every day, you know, and it was whether it was some sort of you know, it's just like the Twitter thing, you know, like that's, it's, it's truly just unpresidential and it's just unprofessional. If, if you had a job and you were tweeting like that, you would be fired because you are, it, it's just so outlandish. It's, it runs even contra to what your employer, um, you know, established norms are. So, you know, you know, whether it's an issue of like him making some sort of weird statement about immigration or, you know, transgender people in the military or whatever it is, it's just was one thing after another. And then, yeah, the election shouldn't feel like life and death. And I don't try to make that kind of thing that's out of my control dictate how I feel. But yeah, this week I was, you know, a wreck because I do, you know, truly just, you know, and I don't believe myself to be a hyper-partisan per person. I was thinking about this today when I was on a run that I don't identify as Demo uh, a Democrat. I vote in the Democrat. Yeah, I'm a Democrat because I, I want to vote in the Democrat uh, primaries, but I don't consider myself a Democrat because I just don't think about, um, you know, my political beliefs in, in any sort of party fashion. So I'd I, I like to at least believe that my, while I disagree with Trump and the Republican platform on a lot of policy issues, the things that fundamentally bother me are the things I've listed in terms of the actual institutions of this country that are so important to our democracy, um, the things that, you know, people have served for in the military that civil servants and and teachers and everybody believes in or at harm's way. I just truly believe that, that and I, I don't think that I'm just being like some sort of bleeding heart liberal about that. I think that that's the reason why you see people like, you know, Republican governors saying they're voting for a Democrat and senators and other people or former senators, you know? So I think I, I, I just want to believe that that's the case, that that it wasn't just about I disagree with this person, this platform in the short term about 
abortion or about you know the economy or something like that. I agree. So on the one hand, I used to always say, well, policy is what's most important. You know, we should look past rhetoric and look at policy. But I never imagined when I used to say that a president like Donald Trump, who just says really, really illiberal things, whether it's the press is the enemy of the American people, uh, comments where he's clearly celebrating violence, even if he tries to walk it back later. Or when he, you know, he tells a, a congresswoman to go back to where she came from, who was born in the United States, just because, you know, she has black skin. You know, when you have somebody saying things like that, I think po- policy, you know, specific public policies here and there take a backseat to, you know, what is he doing to the psyche of the country and the ability of Americans to just work together and be civil with each other. And, you know, there's been somewhat of a reaction on the left where there's people on the left who, I think in response to Donald Trump being like that, you know, don't want anything to do with Republicans or people who voted for him. I've, you know, heard people say things to me like, oh, I won't be friends with Republicans anymore. And I don't think that's a good attitude to have, you know, even if it's even if people think it's for noble purposes of like, you know, sticking up for the oppressed. I think, you know, like I, I would never blame anyone for saying I despise Donald Trump. I want nothing to do with him. But I, I wouldn't want to take it so far as to extend that to everybody who voted for. No, I, I totally agree. Um, I well, like when you're sitting there, like if a, a liberal is sitting there you know, hitting refresh and hoping that the election goes in their favor, um, you, you know, who they they're they're hoping what they're hoping for is they're hoping that those some of those Republicans voted what they would consider with their conscience and and um, and voted for their their candidate. So those are literally your your potential converts. So to demonize them in mass is you know unstrategic and short sighted. Um, I think it's easy to fall into that because politics has become. It has real life implications, and then therefore becomes very emotional. Um, but you know, you're right. That's not the end. That's not the enemy. Um, it, it, well, at least in all cases, you know. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. It's not about that. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned you know, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Like, if you're gonna, you know, Trump won four years ago, so to win this time, you have to convince at least some of the people who voted for him to change their mind. And you're not going to do that just by, you know, people don't react very well to like being yelled at. And, and beyond that, you know, we, you know, we have to be able to work together, get things done, you know, and I don't see that happen. You know, if, if keep things keep going in the direction of uh, people having, you know, if people being so into their conservative or liberal identity or whatever other identities they have that they don't want to deal with people who voted for the other candidate doesn't seem like a healthy civil society. No, and there's got to be room for growth and learning. And the place, there, there can't just be, A, this person has a point of view, and B, 
they're the devil, they're a horrible person, they should quit their job and they should be canceled. There's got to be an opportunity. And it, or if they did something 20 years ago, um, and you know, there's got to be an opportunity for them to be exposed to an idea and to think about it and to learn about it and consider it and to potentially change their mind. But if you don't allow for that because you just shout them down, um, then then it just becomes these unretra- I don't know these battle lines that, that are just drawn, and so that's not what you know. Like a, it's not a very good way to try to help other people learn about the world and grow, and B, it's it's not a good way. It's not a good strategic, you know idea when when that whole idea of a, a party a political party is is a coalition of of different viewpoints and i'm not saying you have to get married to somebody who's you know just left of the right of center but you sh- you should consider that if you can bring them along without sacrificing too many of your own principles then that's probably going to work out well if you really want to see that blue wave that takes the house senate and the executive branch and that's what you know, for better or worse, you know, why evangelicals didn't, you know, they didn't disavow Trump because, you know, I mean, I'm not saying this is the way to be because you should have principle at some point, but, you know, that's why in some cases there's odd bedfellows in the extremely odd bedfellows in the uh, Republican party, because they're willing to sacrifice some of the short-term uncomfortability of having these different points of views for the long term, and I'm not saying it's definitely definitely worked in their favor because I think the Democrats have held more executive branch in the past 50 years than Republicans, but it's still something to to consider. I agree. I agree. Uh, do you want to any anything else about the election, or do you want to get to some mailbag questions? Huh. Oh, you, yeah. One thing you said, like. Um, I do want, I just want to say this because I, you know, I, I went to journalism school, the whole reason, because I do think that, um, uh, that the, the free flow of information, um, access to information, access to the truth, and the truth is a real thing, and facts are real things, is, you know, imperative to democracy. That's a pretty blanket statement. But I, I just don't think that people, I mean, there's a lot of bad things and, and, and unprofessional things and low quality things that the quote unquote media do because the media in people's eyes ranges from People Magazine to Breitbart to CNN to the New York Times to AP News to Fox News, right? So it's just this big thing and, and the you know, I, I have followed in the past, like Pew Research does, you know, public opinion polls on the, the perception of the quote unquote media or the press. And, you know, the last time I, I had a close eye on it was when Trump was elected and was kind of considering like, how does somebody like this get, get elected and saying fake news and all this stuff. But the perception of the press was at all time low in 2016. I would guess it's probably a little higher than that. I'll go back and check. Uh, but I don't, but I don't think that people understand like, or, or what, you know, the, the majority of people understand 
how important information and what the press does. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people that listen to this do, do get that, but, you know, it's everything from covering your kid's soccer game um, to helping you uh, do your hobby better to understanding when there's like mischief and corruption in your communities and so many things that the press has done. Um, it's a shame that everything gets lumped in together in the quote unquote media, but it's, that's, I mean, I mean, Trump obviously lost me a long time ago. That was a big thing. Um, and just made me so angry that would just question then or just dis um, undermine the, the importance of this, this great, you know, press that we have here in this country really, you know, make the press great again. Yeah, uh, in 2017, there was a Guardian reporter who just asked a, like, Montana congressman a policy question. Oh, yeah. And the guy lost his temper, attacks the reporter, gets arrested, and the President Trump ends up, like, talking this up about how great it was. Yeah. You yes. know, and... <coughs> You know, that's just like the, the there's a lot of things I don't like about the press, not not in general, but, you know, I'm mostly thinking of like cable news, whether it's like MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. Like, you know, you can obviously point to bias and mistakes they make that they don't correct. But, you know, there, there's a reason why freedom of press is explicit in the Constitution. It's because having a free press is necessary for a functioning society for for a democracy and you know that was that not that there weren't moments before that where i was like oh my god you know this guy's going to be a disaster for our country but i remember that just being a shocking moment that he couldn't even not only could he not condemn that but that he celebrated that and you know the voices of the conservative mu movement were pretty muted about that. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this guy could do three hours on this, but um, it, the one of the worst, most poisonous legacies of Trump, and it's not his alone, this is a problem, a larger problem of the internet. Now, the internet is obviously one of the greatest inventions of mankind. But the way the information is presented on the internet is kind of flat and anybody can put any information on there. That's like literally the greatest thing about it and literally the worst thing about it um, because there's no, um, you know, it's hard to discern what's a legitimate source of information, information and, and an illegitimate source. Um, and back in the day when it was like a newspaper, you had to buy, you know, you had to pay for a printing press and you had to pay for reporters and you're in it to win it to like, you know, produce verifiable information. And now it's just um, the internet, the internet is just, a, and social media especially is a wasteland and it's an economic wasteland that is based on um, bad, basically based on bad and controversial information. And so until we figure out how to rein in or have an alternative to the system of 
it, it, the, the revenue system on the internet and social media sites in particular, we will be presented with this world of chaos and lack of truth and therefore electing bad people. Yeah, like it's the type of thing where, you know, I used to be bothered by sort of how how little variety there was in the medium. Thinking about the 90s before the internet was big, it seemed like, you know, there was conventional wisdom. There was, there was sort of the gatekeepers and it was hard for anything else to break through that. But now it seems like we have the opposite problem where everything breaks through that. And there's so much free, there's so much free uh, news that, it's hard for quality journalism to survive because actual investigative journalism is expensive. It costs money. But, you know, there's all of these free websites, which is like 80% opinion, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with opinion journalism, but it's not going to, it's not going to break any big story. It's not going to really stand up to power. And, you know, hopefully it does seem like there's a trend going back in the direction of of news that you pay for of of the subscription model as opposed to this fantasy that you know ads flashing ads on websites are going to be able to you know pay for actual journalism yeah i mean that's that's a things have kind of righted because the you know when the internet came on the scene and disrupted all the publishing and you know the news organizations you know, they had to shift to survive to the, the model of attention and clicking on the internet. But they, some of, a lot of the good, you know, good sites have, like the New York Times now has a, pay, you know, paid model that's very strong, as well as other paid, you know, other things like the daily podcast, and without paid, but it's driving revenue in different ways. So things have kind of shifted back a bit, but yeah, but I would, you know, I don't, it would be uh, entitled to say that the free flow, the absolute free flow of information on the internet is, is a bad thing because we wouldn't have things like the Arab Spring or the Me Too movement or the rise of awareness of police brutality against black people in the US if it wasn't for <laughs> the fact that you can record something and upload it to this platform that anybody has access to. I mean, it's just mind blowing in the context of you know, what you were talking about, the the limited variety of points of view and that the, in the requirement to have the uh, control of the means of distribution to get information out there. So it's it's a weird dichotomy, you know, but I think we have to like still figure, you know, we're still figuring stuff out. The internet's not that old. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's great that, you know, we can all learn a lot of things from say YouTube videos and somebody as a hobby can just, you know, put something they're really knowledgeable about, put it on, maybe it turns into a career, uh, you know, and, and hopefully that can be balanced with, you know, still, still an investment and in support of intent, you know, in, intensive news reporting and, work work like that but one of you know one of the concerns is just the way local media is having a hard time surviving like new york times is a national paper washington post is a national paper but 
it seems like more and more it's, you know, getting tougher and tougher for, you know, local newspapers to get by. And that, you know, that's definitely a concern because a lot of important public policy is done at the local level. And it seems like people are, have less access to that information. Now, who knows, maybe websites and blogs and local podcasts will come in and fill some of that gap. Yeah, it's, I mean, local newspapers, they're, they're hanging in there and they perform an important function and there, it just won't, you know, a blog is a blog, but you know, a guy who covers a guy or a gal who covers the, the school, you know, the, the school district and the city council and a small, in a small town or a, a medium, small or medium sized city for five years there's just, there's, I mean, he was actually paid to do that. He knows the people, he knows the tricks and covers that. That's like literally what the watchdog role of the press is supposed to be. And they, there's no way to duplicate that because you need to pay for somebody to devote their profession, their occupation to that. So, you know, newspapers have hung on. I mean, they, a lot of them closed up and they've been merged and whatnot, but a lot of them are hanging on because they do perform that essential role. Um, you know, um, I, I would love to, you know, work on a, not, I wouldn't want to be a reporter at a small newspaper, but like work on the business model for it. Because I think there's a lot of uh, ways to expand the, the revenue model for, for local newspapers. If they're a little bit more creative and a little bit more digital savvy. Um, unfortunately, like a lot of small town, small town newspapers, you know, those things are kind of, a little bit opposed, um, but um, you know Warren Buffett invested in a slew of like local small newspapers because he believed you know about like five or six years ago maybe seven because he believed they're undervalued so he bought up a bunch of them because if, I think he thinks eventually they're going to bounce back um, as you see you know the drive for more localized you know buy local and um, more like local and regional spirit. I think that, you know, I think, yeah, I think local newspapers will have a, another, another life. Cool. Cool. All right. I think we covered it all the election, right? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> all right. Well, what else? We got to do the mailbag, right? All right. Yeah. And a couple of these do kind of have to do with the election, but let's start off with a non-election one. Uh, okay. People are really into homophones lately, so we got another one of those questions. Okay. Which do you? Sorry, say it. Pronounce it correctly for us. Homophone. Homophone. Yeah. What? Yeah, but what okay. is a homophone? Oh, it is a words that sound the same but are spelled differently. Okay. So, can you give an example? So I'll give I'll give the example that we're gonna use. Okay. Two spell T-O. Two spell T-O-O or two spell T-W-O. Right. That's a good one. That's a that's a triplet. That's a, yeah. All right, so I'll I'll throw out there. I really don't like T-O-O. Because, you know, it just feels like a whiny sort of word, like, I'm coming to, you need this too. 
Uh, and I don't really like to look at two O's next to each other. So I'm going to toss that one. That's my third place finisher. Uh, do you have a third place finisher? So I actually, so I'm going to start with two TWO as my, my least favorite of the three because, you know, it's a numeral and there's already a numeral for that, you know, a numeral symbol. Um, so I don't think it has any business being in the, the word section. So I'm going to, I almost want to toss it out entirely. Um, so TWO is ranked number three by me. All right, so I am down to T-O versus T-W-O. So two, two has like an important function. You know, sometimes we'll have to go from one place to another place. That can be exciting sometimes. It can be scary sometimes. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not down on that word, but T-W-O. I'm a big fan of the letter W. It just looks cool. Looks like a upside down M, which is pretty dope. Uh, you know, and especially in the middle, like, in, you know, in the middle between two other letters. And kind of reminds me of an owl for some reason. I mean, I guess W is an owl and owls are pretty cool. So, and it's, a, I don't know, too, like it's an even number, you can divide it and, you know, you can divide it by two or one, easily divisible number. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to go with TWO as my first place finish. Your, your second place? No, first place is TWO, second place is TWO, oh, third to, place is TOO. Oh, you went all the way to first place without me revealing? Well, the, well, the thing is, like, there's oh, yeah, TWO yeah. and there's, there's nothing left. <laughs> Good point. All right. So mine, so I get the big reveal. Um, I'm going to go for number two. I'm going to go with T-O-O. Not because I don't like it, because I think it it's a really great word. Um, it really can add a lot of additive meaning to a, uh, a sentence. And it's, I don't know, something about it. I think it's... Um, it's, it's just like the way it looks at the end of the sentence. Um, I just want to let people know you don't have to, there's no reason to use a comma before you use the word to a lot of people say like, I'm going to the mall too. And they will put a comma after the mall, like mall and then two, there's no need for that. Just get rid of too many commas. People are using too many commas, save them, save them. But so that leads me to my favorite uh homophone of the subsection two is to and that's because it's just i think you said this it's very functional you know it just you you couldn't you couldn't get around and you couldn't navigate the you know we couldn't navigate the world together if we didn't see that it's like this it entails this abstract thought about we're here now, but we're going to this other place. I don't think dogs know about two. Um, so I'm, you know, my primary um, or my the priority for the, for for the use of words is functionality. So I'm going to give it to two, to. Okay, great, great. Uh, 
Another mailbag question. This one is from West Wisconsinite. Mm-hmm. Yo, why is PA in Philadelphia getting so much credit? Congratulations on being the slowest counting blue state in the country. You people count votes slower than Rocky Top. How about giving them lower, the state uh, lo- so- lo- lower than what? You people count votes slower than Rocky Tops. Oh. How about giving Wisconsin some credit? We delivered our electoral, electoral votes to Joe Biden by the time everyone woke up Wednesday morning. Peace, love, and buy more cheese. So I actually, I'm glad West Wisconsin I'd asked this question. So the reason why Pennsylvania didn't start counting the mail-in votes until after the election was because the Republicans in the Pennsylvania state legislature at the behest of the Trump campaign refused to change the law. They, They came to an agreement with the governor of Pennsylvania. They were about to change it at the last minute. The Republicans backed off changing the law so that they could count the votes in advance, not reveal who people voted for in advance, but count them in advance. So I'm glad West Wisconsin asked this question. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, well yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, this fella or fella Nina, um, like what their story is in terms of, their ideals about ele- like free elections, but I, I don't know why they're like against us. Like, are they mad at me and you? Or are they mad at the, the people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Because exactly what you said, I mean, the, Demo- the, the uh, Pennsylvania legislature was complicit in this whole preconceived plan by the Trump administration to create this protracted post-election counting so that they so he could explicitly call it into question meanwhile we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're trying to make sure that people don't die um i was just talking to a a co-worker whose mother is 102 years old she's not going to go to the polls and risk her life but she should still be able to vote uh therefore we amped up the amount of mail-in ballots that we've ramped that up. So I don't know if this Western Wisconsinite is mad at the people or is just against the, you know, they should, if they're mad at this process, the process was created by powers outside of the, the, the people. So I, I wish they would, you know, be on our side. I don't, I yeah. don't why don't they reveal their name? Why not? Well, I mean, West Wisconsinite does have a nice ring. West Wisconsinite. Yeah, I don't like know. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think he probably just doesn't understand that there's a reason why we couldn't start counting the votes ahead of time. And, you know, it's just due to politics and probably just wants Wisconsin to get more credit than it's gotten. But, you know... You could, you'd be surprised what you could accomplish, West Wisconsinite, when you don't worry about who gets the credit, just worry about getting the right result. Yeah, well, and that's that. So we're back in the election talk. The the one thing, the other thing that Trump undermined, 
or tried to undermine was the U.S. Postal Service, um, which is crazy. Yeah, we don't know how many. We don't know how many votes I haven't been delivered. It. Uh, I saw. I saw one report that they failed to deliver up to three hundred thousand votes on time. I don't, despite like a judicial order, I didn't read too too much about it. But yeah. Well, there's, a, there's yeah. not much that Trump didn't undermine confidence. Right. And so, I mean, some of those things will be, um, I think, up for review by state and, you know, the uh, Supreme Courts. I Ultimately, I think if they were received and postmarked by the postal office, but not you received by the counters in time, I believe that they'll make those, for the most part, depending on state, state by state, but like be be counted um but that's that's the thing i think uh, one of the the uh the, the failings of the biden campaign was he didn't talk nearly enough about the u.s postal service if you want you know to get older folks on your side just keep i, I would i mean I, yeah I'd talk about covid but like talk about the postal service like you know just like just talk about like, oh, the postal service has always been for there for us. And don't you remember getting mail? And it was the only way you got letters from, you know, when people were in war and, and out uh, overseas. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I would have talked about the postal service way more and how great it is because it is pretty great. It's, you know, it was the internet before the internet was the internet, Omar. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hear people complain that like, well, you know, the postal service loses money. It's not doing well financially, but not everything has to make money, especially right. not like a public <laughs> well, service, like getting the mail. The mail has to be delivered, whether it breaks even or loses money. The Supreme Court's not making any money. We got to get rid yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, the Supreme Court should be selling like, I don't know, <laughs> autographs. You know, they should, yeah, they should, the Supreme Court justices, justices Spent three hours a day doing autographs to to balance their budget. <laughs> All right. Well, what what else we got in the mail today? All right. This one is from Dave Asalone, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm not sure we should even answer this question because you know we don't try to put negative energy and negativity in the world. He says. Hey, I really like to get under the skin of others. It's what I think about when I wake up in the morning and close my eyes at night. But sometimes I try and fail. I'm getting worse at it the older I get. What advice do you have for me? Please help. Hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts? So so the, can you restate that? What's the specific question this, this Dave Asalone has for us? I, I, hey, I would really like to get under the skin of others. What advice do you have to help me out with that? Okay. So that's basically it. How to get under the skin of others. Yeah. I mean, I think before we answer it, we should just discuss, like, why do you think, what's wrong with Dave? Why do you think this is so important to him? Well, if I know Dave, and I do, he's, you know, hyper-competitive. So, you know, and I guess, you know, some people compete head-to-head, you know, and the best man wins. 
And other people need to undermine their opponent, you know, sweep the leg kind of thing um, in order to win. So my guess would be he's just a bad sportsman. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think, I, I think he just has like a restlessness that maybe he should figure out a way to contain, you know, like just a constant urge to undermine his opponent, to be competitive, uh, that, you know, maybe you should try some breathing exercises, maybe yoga. I don't know. I, I feel like we shouldn't answer. I don't know. Do you think we should answer this question? About I, I don't know. I feel like, others? Yeah, because we're not answering it yet. Like, I, I was going to say, like, he probably, when he watches Cobra Kai on Netflix, he probably relates to, you know, Johnny from Cobra Kai. So, but I do think we should answer it. So, All right. you know, what's the best way to get under somebody's skin is you pick out the you know you just observe them over time you know i'm assuming you want to get under the like getting under somebody's skin isn't something you can do to a stranger really you can make a stranger mad but to get under somebody's skin you have to have a long-term relationship with them so you have to observe them over a long period of time and then see like what are the things they get annoyed at and so you know knowing you know, Dave, the reason I said, you know, his competitive nature is I know that he is very competitive and I know that people call him out on that very often. So I use that thing that I've learned about him and his personality and uh, his um, personality flaws um, to, to get under his skin. So I actually just gave him a good example. Yeah, I would say... If you really want to get under what someone's skin to undermine the way they think about themselves somehow. Mm. Uh, now, there, there's going to be a backlash from this. So don't think this is going to come at no cost to you. To your oh, staff. of course. Yeah, no, it's not but, a, uh, you engender your, or endear yourself. Engender, is that the right word? I think endear makes more sense. Endear. It's not a good way to endear yourself to anyone. And it will definitely just probably poison your relationship with that person. But, you know, that seems to be your goal. And we're here to help you achieve your goals. Yeah, I guess there's some relationships where you're like, you know what? I need to, like, explode this for whatever reason. Yeah, maybe he's, (laughs) you know, maybe he's got a... um, one of his man friends is, you know, a little abusive or overbearing and he's, you know, trying to find a way to get out of their relationship. Um, but does, you know, is a little afraid to do so. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe he's looking for a passive aggressive way to get out of that relationship. Yeah, quite possible. Uh, you, do you want to do one more mailbag question? Yeah, one more, one more. One more, all right. Haven't heard much about Kanye. How did he do? So I actually looked this up when I saw this question because I really had no idea. Uh, He got about 60,000 votes nationwide. He was uh, on the ballot in a couple states, not in many states. 
I think his best showing was Arkansas, where he got almost one half of 1% of the vote. So he didn't do very well. Uh, I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Why on Kanye's run for president? Well, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about Kanye because I, I do think that Kanye is, you know, legitimately is dealing with some severe mental illness. I mean, he's pretty clearly said that. Um, so I'm not going to rip on him. I'm just going to rip on the people that, um, you know, that voted for him. Uh, and actually, I'm not even going to rip on them because they, you know, they, they see, must have such a nihilist point of view. I mean, in Arkansas, I mean, you know, it's probably not going to go, it's probably going to vote red anyway, but um still it's just as a nihilist uh, point of view on uh on um our democracy to just throw your vote away that way i mean i did vote for ralph nader but i i had my reasons when i was in, in college um so i wasn't throwing it away i was i was young and naive but nonetheless um yeah i mean and ralph nader was he was never an elected official but he was very knowledgeable about policy issues and had been involved in oh of course yeah all no, sorts of it's, issues it's no compatible yeah i was making a wry joke so no i mean it's just like yeah it's just to be so nihilistic as to actually i mean to take the time to vote but then vote for that's the problem is like there's so many people that don't vote because they're just too lazy um or you know they don't care about it but for somebody to actually take the time to vote but then vote for somebody that is just a throwaway vote while, listen, you know, I actually, you know, I think Arkansas could, could <laughs> they could bet, you know, I don't, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's kind of sad, I guess, you know, if I, if I take it seriously, it's, yeah, it's just, it's kind of pathetic. I will say one funny joke did come out of this that made me laugh. Uh, Jennifer Aniston uh, tweeted that it's not funny to vote for Kanye, and then Kanye responded, Friends wasn't funny either. Hmm. I mean, Which I thought was true and funny. Wait, you don't think fun, Friends is funny? No, that show was terrible. Um, I don't like that show that much, but I think it had some funny points. Like, I think. Oh Joe- yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure in the eight seasons and like a thousand episodes, <laughs> there was like something funny. Yeah, here it's not there. a funny show. <laughs> I, I don't think it I guess, was in general funny. I guess that's I guess that's that's a good response, I guess. Um and I would be I, I don't know. I don't have much thoughts on it. Maybe people just really didn't like Trump and really didn't like Biden and they just figured I'll just vote for Kanye because I can't stand either one of these and this is just sort of like Well that's what got whatever. Us, this that's what got us in this problem in the first place with Trump is people being like, Well, I don't like this one or this one, so I'll vote for neither. It's like you're an adult. There's gotta be one thing that's worse than the other. So make a choice, a real choice. I get it. We don't have like we are a two-party system. It's not ideal, but hey there's a lot of things that aren't ideal when you're an adult. So just make a choice because, you know, you don't get to like, I mean, that's the thing is they say, like, I don't know who, who these people were, but like, you can't then complain about like, you know, they're restricting your reproductive rights or they're, uh, they're, um, you know, police brutality. Like literally if there was a, a democratic, uh, 
president and a Democratic House and Senate, we would push through a bunch of actual um, uh, police re- reform with with teeth, and the world would be a better place in Arkansas, where I'm sure a lot of bad shit goes down. So, you know, it's just, I mean, it is pathetic and nihilistic to not vote for somebody. What would you, what would you make of the argument, though, that someone would say, hey, neither of these candidates or political parties have reached my minimum threshold of proper behavior and proper policies, and I'm not just going to vote for, I, I look at it and I have two terrible choices before me, and unless one of these parties improves enough, I'm just not going to vote for either of them, because otherwise they can just take my vote for granted. That is, I think, both poor logic and one of my least favorite people in the world. <laughs> because it, it's poor logic because while you're on the sidelines, nobody's waiting for your vote. And literally, the Republicans are hoping you don't vote. They are actively working, actively work on voter suppression because, you know, a lot of the people that don't vote um, would probably vote Democratic. So it's, it's, not, it's not a very good strategy. Also, again, that's just not how the world works, is that it's not like it's like my choice or I'm not going to participate. It's like this collective partnership and de- democracy of saying like, you know, like, listen, the, the Democratic re- platform is not re- 100% reflective of my point of view. And so there is no minimum threshold. It's, it's which one is more aligned. And you could do some mathematics on this, but like you could look, you could give it the eye test and say, more of these things are better for the things I like and less of these things are less for the things I like. And therefore I'm going to vote in column A. It's, it's, I mean, that's, it's all it is. Yeah. I don't, I just, I, I don't know that it's that simple though. Like I could see somebody like sincerely looking at both candidates and being like, man, Joe Biden, he supported the war in Iraq. He used to be really, really bad on issues of like, criminal justice reform. He's a member, and I'm not saying, you know, these are all my points of view or they're not, but he is, seems corrupt just because he's a member of this and that. And, you know, you know, we already talked about the reasons we don't like Donald Trump, but I still want to go to vote because I don't know, maybe there's a local election or maybe there's some other reason. Uh, I just feel like I should vote. And you know, neither of these neither of these politicians, I feel like, are, are deserve my vote, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just vote for somebody just because I feel like I have to support one of them. Like you don't see any validity on. Let's say let's say there in four years there's an election, and whoever's president starts a war that you think's like terribly unjust and both major political parties are in support of it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't consider voting for a third party candidate who has no chance. No. That, that's, so to answer that specific question, no, because they both might have the same um, 
They might both want to stay involved in that war, but ultimately, if the people, if an, as, like, the, listen, they read the, they, they look at the debt. Like, this is how like politicians decide their platform. Is so, like, how can we maintain the the sensibilities and the identity of the party, but still have a coalition of people based around this platform? And they basically do the mathematics around that. And so it's it's not just mathematics. It's like they look at the populace and they say, like, how can we collect these people under one tent? And so that like the scenario you propose, while a possibility, ultimately there would be differences in the uh, approach to that war if the people... And if the people would self-segregate into the two different ways to approach that issue, like it's, it's a war, whatever it is, it's an issue. And people would naturally align uh, differently. Otherwise, if all the people were like, oh, this is an issue, like, but that never happens. Like, let's go after this one issue in this one uniform way. It just doesn't happen that way. So the populace self-segregates and the, uh, and the uh, uh, politicians just, latch onto that self-segregation so that they can they can put that um issue in their corner um and that that position on that issue in their corner so i I think that um that scenario um there's ultimately going to be two different points of view on the issue of that war and then you have to decide well neither maybe neither neither path is the most ideal path but one of them is is lesser ideal and one of her, one of them is more ideal and so you have to choose and but if isn't there a, isn't there a thing that where there's a distinction without a difference like okay so maybe they have slightly different points of view on how to execute that war like one thinks we need to use the air force more one thinks we need to use the army more but that doesn't necess- that might not give the voters something to choose from that might not make any difference to the person voting. And I'm not sure I agree with your point that the politicians look at the population and then make their decision, their decisions on what to do and what not to do. There is, there is, you know, there's lobbyists, there's centers of power, and there's, you know, decisions based upon what you know, elites want to do and what's important to them. It's not just purely, well, I, maybe I'm misinterpreting what you were saying, but I don't think it's purely or even mostly just politicians looking at the population and saying, well, this is what the population wants. So I'm going to segregate in this direction and my candidate's going to go in that direction. I'm not sure it always works like that. No, I don't think it's a pure reflection of the populace. That you know, that'd be naive. But so you're right in that regard. Um, it's you know, special interests. It's money. It's all these different things. But at the end of the day, is so I'll pull it back to the, the um, um, quote. I guess and, uh, I think this is Obama quotes this frequently, and I believe it's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. But you know, progress is not a straight line, right? So, um, so. The idea being that, you know, you take that issue, which is one of many issues, and you might be very concerned with that war, but like, if you have empathy for other people uh, in the world, then there are other issues that impact other people differently. And so ultimately, if you take the collection of issues that a, a, a candidate is running on, and you look at them, and you say, you still have to be able to do the math and say, 
um, well, these like this person, well, they are taking this war in the wrong direction. They're taking this war in a less wrong direction, the other person. And um, meanwhile, I do think that they're going to protect reproductive rights uh, more than the other person. So you got to you can go down the line. You look at the issues. And to be honest, it's not that hard in the U.S., for me, at least. I, I don't know who these people are who have a hard, such a hard time deciding these things. Uh, I can't relate to it. And maybe that's my own shortcoming. But like. You just you you just go down the line. You say which one do I agree with more? And I think it's I, I just I I don't know. I just find it absolutely childish to sit it out. What what would you say though if someone okay let's say it's not Kanye let's say it's like the Libertarian Party or the Green Party and they're saying hey I really don't like any of these two major parties I want to be a part of trying to build a third way or another movement. Would you still say that's childish if someone just decides, let's take the Nader 2000 example. Would you still yeah. say that's childish just to say, I'm going to take, I'm going to vote for a third party candidate who I know can't win. And keep in mind that like no, no one single vote is going to make a difference, even in a close election. It's not like your one vote is going to tip the scale between who wins or loses. Well, so my Nader example was li- literally the, what you're describing is why I voted for Nader. As so I was like, well, this system seems messed up. <laughs> there should be, a, I mean, if there was a third party, it would alter the the um, political system in the U.S. to such an extent, it would just be a game changer, right? So I voted for Nader. Um, I, did, I was not politically savvy to any any degree at that point and i i don't even know if i knew who like bush was what his platform was i'm not even sure why if i hadn't voted for nader i'm sure i would have voted for gore but i'm not you know uh, there's just so many things that would just lead me to vote for a democratic candidate but that said um if i knew more about who bush was and and if i knew about what the the what was on the line, I absolutely would not have voted for Nader. Now I was in New York State, and so it could be, um, you know, I could assume that it, you know I could I could do that because the idea. But you can assume, but you can assume that even if you live in the closest swing state, that your one vote isn't going to flip the election. Well, that's pretty. So I would say that that's not a very. What's the? Um, that is a. I mean, it's true. It's I mean, it's a fact. Like no, no, I get that. Even if you live in the closest swing state, that one vote isn't going to flip it one way or another. Right, but that doesn't uh, comply with my 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 ethics, which is I think it's utilitarianism, which is that you have to behave so that the your behavior, if it was replicated over and over and over, would um, would be good behavior. And so the same reason why I return the shopping cart when I'm done shopping is well, that one shopping cart wouldn't cause chaos. But if, if nobody returned their shopping carts, it would be total chaos in the parking lot. So I don't abide by that ethic that if I do this one thing, that that's a good reason to do it, because that would mean that in Pennsylvania, if I just was like, well, my one vote won't make a difference. So I don't I don't subscribe to that. Okay, I, That makes sense. But then it does. 
I'm not trying to be too argumentative, but then like that doesn't really hold for your New York State example either then, right? No, no. So I would say that, it, you know, looking back, if I knew that, you know, Bush would launch us into the Iraq war, that's a stupid ass vote for Nader. And so I think it was an, a, a vote by a naive childlike uh, version of myself uh, without full view of how. So, so yeah, no, I mean, I just think it's, I, that's, I mean, to me, that's how we ended up with Trump is that um, people were against Hillary. They, they were for Bernie. There was all these Bernie people. And the Bernie people, once Hillary won the Democratic nomination, they undermined the enthusiasm of the Democratic Party. They splintered off into this Jill Stein and Gary Johnson bullshit. And that's a good reason why we ended up with Trump. They firmly undermined um, the Democratic the momentum. And so that's why I think that's also stupid because the idea was, yeah, maybe you're more well aligned with Jill Stein. Great. That's great. But what happened? Well, because every other people voted more strategically or they just voted the way they voted and you didn't vote strategically. We ended up with Trump. So I don't know. The proof is in the pudding for me. Uh, maybe. I don't. So I, I could see the Jill Stein vote having helped Trump. I, I doubt the libertarian third party vote helped Trump. That that probably hurt Trump. Uh, but I would, I don't know. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, you know, I, I've never voted for a third party candidate. But I, again, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this discussion where, you know, we should try to understand why people voted the way they did as opposed to just going, like, hey, this is stupid. Like, I, I do think, like, I, I don't, I don't want to, like, be aggressive towards people who said, look, I looked at both candidates and I just couldn't vote for either of them because I found both of them objectionable. And, you know, sure, I, 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 find, both can- I find both candidates subjectable. Right. But, like, I, I find <laughs> right, but and like I, like I can understand why people would look at Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden and just be like, you know, I, I have serious problems. Like, you know, if I'm not going to be upset with Republicans who voted for for uh, President Trump, I'm not going to be too upset with third party candidates because at least they didn't vote. For Trump, and I think I think the goal is, you know, Democrats should try to do better and convince those people, as opposed to just saying they're childish. I, that's my point of view. Sure, I, I'm listen. I'm a I'm I'm offended by the poor choice of candidates. I think that like Biden is a horrible candidate. You know, otherwise he would have won by more. He's too freaking old. Um, you know, he's out of, I think he's out of touch and he just happens to be, you know, somebody that's not an insane person. So I'm offended by it that I had to choose for him, but I did because, you know, I, okay, maybe I was being a little bit extreme, uh, you know, but I do think it ultimately comes down to you're either in or out, you know, especially when it's wartime, you're, you're either on my side or you're not. And if you're not, then that's a little that's a little aggressive. War war side. Didn't we kind of begin the pod with trying to like lower the temperature a little bit? 
I, okay, so I won't use that analogy. When it's when I think there's so much at stake, and we talked about what was at stake and what we what bothers about Trump. Trump, I think that it's. I, I, I mean, there's no better other word for me to put it. I'll leave it at this. I think it's naive. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. This has been. Uh, anything else on that, or should we call it call it a wrap for this pretty long episode? Yeah, we just yeah we just took it to the the eleventh hour. Um, yeah. No, I think we're good. Um, so you know, I hope everybody's doing well out there, and I'm gonna go get some fresh air. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, please send us. We love getting your mailbag questions. Please send us some more plastic cups inside paper cups. Wait, sorry, plastic cups. Yes, that was right. Plastic cups inside paper cups at gmail.com. Leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. And thanks for listening to everybody. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. <laughs>